Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkopf, joined as ever by Chris Cottmore. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great, thanks. It's Friday. That's not a bad reason to be doing well. How about you, Riley? Doing pretty well. Excellent. What's your lead story today, Chris? Uh, so the second anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine war is upon us. Um, though, again, as David's pointed out many times, this is more of a 10-year war than a two-year war. And in fact, the New York Times today on their front page uh, has a story about just that. Uh, but on the second anniversary, the United States, in coordination with international pa- partners, is introducing uh, additional sanctions on 500 targets uh, designed to disrupt Russia's military industrial complex and penalize companies uh, that support Russia's military efforts. The initiative is part of a broader strategy to hold Russia accountable for its aggression and the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Um, obviously, the the Russian economy, to some extent, has suffered from these sanctions, though um, some have pointed out that they've shifted to uh, a military economy. But nonetheless, any any steps that we can take uh, that don't necessarily involve uh, getting Congress to approve it uh, is a positive step. Well, it's positive because the Congress might block it. Now, having said that, if you really want to honor the memory of Alexei Navalny, um, the Congress should provide the money uh, to Ukraine that will stop um, Putin's uh, onslaught in uh, that country. Uh, another good way to honor the memory of Alexei Navalny is to vote against the Putin candidate in November. 
I have an article out today in the Daily Beast, which talks about this idea of Trump and the GOP being Putin's party and lays out, you know, a lot of the evidence that we've got that that's not hyperbole. Um, It's not Russia, Russia, Russia. It's that for the past eight years, time and time again, we have seen efforts to co-opt the GOP by Russia that were successful to the point that now the leadership of the party blocks aid to Ukraine, supports Putin. Uh, The leader of the party talks about pulling out of NATO. We had this week a story where the anti-Joe Biden effort on Capitol Hill, the the sham uh, uh, impeachment effort, uh, involved a, a guy um, named Alexander Smirnov, who uh, turns out has ties to Russian uh, intelligence, just like the people that you know uh, Rudy Giuliani was talking to when he was trying to come up with dirt on Biden the last time. Uh, uh, it's a long uh, pattern, uh, and the final word I would say on it is. Uh, the ability of Russia to essentially capture one of two mainstream political parties in the United States has got to be seen as the greatest intelligence success of modern times. It is an extraordinary story. Riley? Well, I'll keep the focus on Russia for now. Uh, in a recent statement, Dmitry Medvedev uh, has kind of outlined more of, I guess, Russia's vision for how they're going to proceed with the current invasion, uh, saying that it might extend significantly, potentially targeting Odessa and even Kiev in the future. Um, this just kind of reflects the fact that Russia is feeling, I think, awfully confident given the paralysis in Congress that you just mentioned, and certainly feels like they can kind of strike at the heart of Ukraine as they tried to do at the beginning of the conflict and failed. Uh, but now that that support is waning, I think they see an opportunity, unfortunately. And I think Medvedev has kind of become the guy who will say the quiet part out loud. So I think it's certainly worth uh, bearing in mind what he says, even though he's not necessarily pulling the strings. Well, he's not pulling the strings, but he has nominally been the president of of Russia. He's been uh, the number two guy around Putin for a long, long time. Uh and uh, although his his sort of designated job is to say crazy shit, like you know, if you keep up with this support for Ukraine, we will take a nuclear strike on Washington or that kind of stuff. Uh, if Putin dropped dead tomorrow, Medvedev would be one of the likely contenders to replace him, perhaps the likely contender. And given that he has also proven himself to be a lunatic, that should be disturbing. Chris? I feel like we're back in the days of the Brady Bunch uh, reporting on a measles outbreak in Fort Lauderdale. Um, The measles outbreak is news enough. Do you want to explain to Riley what the Brady Bunch is? I think think Riley knows what the Brady Bunch is, right, Riley? Uh, Vaguely. Oh, he doesn't. He has no idea, Chris. Anyway, go on. Okay, I can sing the song uh, if that would please make, make please. I would, yeah, that yeah. would help me remember. Yeah, um, yeah. May, maybe another day. 
Yeah. Um, the measles outbreak story is bad enough, but the approach by Florida's um, Surgeon General uh, is essentially putting uh, the decisions back to the parents um, who have chosen not to get their children vaccinated against measles, which, by the way, uh, was essentially eradicated um, many years ago. Uh, until, you know, the spread of, of misinformation around vaccines, uh, became a political issue during the pandemic. Um, it's really baffling to me that, and, and, and again, I, I am a person who will follow the advice of medical professionals if they tell me to get vaccinated and it's going to help. Um, I'm all for it. Uh, and I feel the same about my, my children. Um, where hopefully they won't uh, have to face a, a measles outbreak um, at their school. Just, just baffling. Uh, yeah, it's baffling. You know, I, the the notion that Florida has its own Surgeon General is kind of baffling, also to me. Um, but uh, I mean, you know, it's given their sort of very tenuous relationship to science. I'm surprised they don't just have a like a high priest. Um, although that might be what you'd expect in Talabama. I thought of that this morning. I was like, we should call Alabama Talabama um, because it's become such a crazy religious extremist state. Um, for more on that, definitely, if you have not, go listen to our podcast yesterday with Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia is always great. We talked about this Alabama decision on uh, embryos, declaring them babies that have the rights of people, even though the typical embryo that's frozen and used in IVF is 9 to 16 cells big. Okay, so that's a baby. Nine cells. Um, uh, and, uh, there's more crazy shit in store. And if you're just like, oh, this is crazy. And it's only happening in Alabama. Watch this space as, you know, Trump comes out with his national abortion ban and Clarence Thomas and his, uh, right-wing clown show, uh, in the Supreme court, find ways to do things like ban contraception. We will be back in sort of, you know, the early part of the 20th century in no time at all in terms of laws, prohibitions, the lack of rights of women that, you know, Alito talked this week about getting rid of the ability of, um, uh, LGBTQ plus people to get married or to be treated even as equal. Uh, it's it's freaking dark outside. Riley? Well, Benjamin Netanyahu has kind of unveiled his first official plan at what a post-conflict Gaza would look like, and it is a doozy. Uh, his vision includes a demilitarized Gaza, with Israel removing military capabilities except for maintaining public order and implementing a southern closure on the border with Egypt. It would also include de-radicalization programs uh, for religious, educational, and welfare institutions. 
Uh, it would be administered by non-hostile Palestinians, uh, and it would include indefinite uh, Israeli control of security, as well as uh, the getting rid of UNRWA as part of this strategy. So, needless to say, this was pretty much immediately rejected. The, the Palestinian Authority president uh, criticized the plan as destined to fail, uh, kind of, and then echoed his calls for Israel's end to occupation. But, I mean, I think we've all been wondering what Israel thought was going to happen in this in a post-conflict Gaza, um, and if this is any indication, it's pretty unrealistic. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done to find something that is actually going to be palatable to everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, destined to fail is one thing. I think it was intended to fail. You know, Bibi doesn't want this war over. He doesn't really care what happens to Gaza. You know, the plan doesn't really provide any realistic answer to the question of what do two million people do when the entire you know uh, area in which they've lived has been um, rendered into rubble um, uh, and you know how many non-hostile Palestinians are there at this point do you think uh, given the treatment uh, sometime this weekend we'll pass 30,000 uh, dead. Uh, Palestinians in this in this war, uh, and no sign of it letting up anytime uh, soon. So this is just performative nonsense from the man who is responsible for some of the the worst atrocities we've seen in recent years on a planet that is just loaded with atrocities. Okay. Something slightly more positive, Chris. I'm actually going to go with two stories here. Um, the first is in addition to the United States announcing additional sanctions against Russia, uh, President Biden met with Alexei Navalny's widow and daughter in San Francisco um, in a private meeting. Uh, I'm, I'm actually amazed that uh, that these meetings um, can still take place, you know, given the state of the world. Uh, Biden expressed his um, thanks for their determination in their fights against the Kremlin. Um, so, that, you know, a nice moment for the president and Alexei Navalny's widow. Uh, and then I wanted to follow up on this story yesterday because I don't want people to think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Um, when we were recording yesterday, uh, AT&T was experiencing a massive uh, service outage, um, which was impacting me <laughs> and my family and about 1.7 million other people. Um, nothing all day was said. Uh, service was restored at somewhere around uh, 1 p.m., 12.30, depending on, I guess, where you were. Um, and AT&T has finally issued a statement saying that the uh, service outage was caused by an error made wh while it was expanding its network, uh, indicating that it was not, in fact, um, a cyber attack. But, you know, there were, there were consequences. 911 services were out in some cities, um, and, and there does need to be more uh, investigation into this, given how reliant we are on uh, not just the internet, but the ability to communicate while we're away from home. Um, okay. I'm glad it wasn't a cyber attack. Uh, I'm also glad that 
that Biden met with Navalny's um, uh, widow and his, and the widow's and his daughter. Um, I, I, I said something on Twitter yesterday to the effect of, "Well, this just goes to show this is what a good man does compared to a bad man." Trump, who made the Navalny thing about himself and didn't condemn Putin for the murder, um, and I immediately got like a thousand messages, you know, Twitter troll things saying, oh, Biden got her name wrong. Oh, Biden was sniffing her hair. Oh, look, at, you know, and it was, it, it was the most infantile nonsense ever. But, you, you know, those don't, things don't come from nowhere. So if Chris is not a conspiracy theorist this morning, I just want to say I am. When, you know, you go out, go out, go on Twitter today, do something, do a little experiment. Say something positive about Joe Biden on Twitter and see what the responses that, that immediately come your way um, on Elon Musk's um, uh, social media website are, uh, because it, 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 it really is a zone where it is just now, as Steve Bannon would say, flooded with shit. Um, Riley? So a story that I've talked about on the show before um, and kind of I always like to try and shine a spotlight on stuff that's happening in Africa just because it doesn't make main headlines. And one of the more alarming stories was the kind of election tensions in Senegal, which is historically a, a pretty stable democracy in the region. Um, the Senegalese president, Macky Sall, has announced that his term will conclude as scheduled in April. Um, and this follows a previous decision to postpone the election due to unresolved disputes regarding candidates, uh, which was overruled by the Constitutional Court as illegal. So he will step down. Uh, but the problem here is that the election was originally set for Sunday, and obviously it is not going to be able to take place on Sunday, and there's questions of whether or not it can even take place before the end of his term. So I'm not really sure what that will look like if he steps down before there is technically an elected president. So that is something that they will certainly have to navigate. Um, but you know, it is heartening to see that the uh, constitutional kind of limits in the country are holding. Uh, this is kind of a, an issue that many African fledgling democracies have. So it's great to see that Senegal's institutions are holding strong. Um, and hopefully the transition of power will continue to be peaceful. Um, yeah, hopefully it will. And I'm glad you keep bringing attention to uh, Africa. Another place we don't bring a lot of attention to is uh, Latin. America. Um, uh, we uh, have uh, uh, G20 foreign ministers in Brazil right now getting together in anticipation of the bigger G20 meeting later this year, which is, of course, chaired by Brazil. They've made reform their goal. Uh, that is consistent with Brazil's President Lula's overall um, message and agenda. Um, uh, it was a rough uh, uh, session for Secretary of State Blinken uh, because he, uh, in fact, um, got beat up constantly for the U.S. stance on Israel and Gaza because virtually everybody else in the G20 opposes the position that the U.S. is taking. Uh, so we will look to Africa and we will look to um, Latin America. We will look to uh, other undercovered parts of the world um, uh, more frequently as we go forward. Um, 
And uh, we encourage you to listen to our other podcasts where we cover these things as well, including the other daily, the daily blast that we do with uh, Greg Sargent and the New Republic, uh, and each of the uh, deep dives. I mentioned the one with Dahlia Lithwick earlier yesterday. Uh, there's another one coming up from uh, our friends uh, at uh, We're All Gonna Die Radio, uh, looking at some of the big defense and technology issues that are ahead this week. Um, uh, every every single day. There's something new, and often there's more than one thing. So, you know, keep following us closely, and uh, we'll be back on Monday uh, in the interim. Have a good weekend, uh, everyone. And by everyone, I mean also you, Chris, and you, Riley. Bye-bye.